This week, we talked about the biggest threat to Putin's power we've seen in years and Trump's legal woes in Miami. You are listening to Politics Schmaltics, and this is the week of 7 9 2023. Hello, everyone. I hope you've been having a nice couple of weeks. Happy belated 4th of July. And let us begin. Now, 2023 hasn't exactly been ideal for Trump. And it just got even worse for him. It was just around a year ago when Trump's property in Florida, Mar-a-Lago, was raided by the FBI while Trump was in New York. And this raid had exposed the fact that Trump had over 300 classified documents with him at Mar-a-Lago. Now, the reason why Mar-a-Lago was raided was because it is the National Archives' duty to recover all of these classified documents. And they had been trying to get Trump to comply with them and return all of these documents. And Trump somewhat initially complied. He returned some documents. However, he chose to keep other documents without telling the National Archives, and Trump knew he wasn't supposed to do this. Suspicions rose, and there was a raid. Now, Trump has claimed that this raid was a weaponization of the FBI against a political opponent, and the raid actually helped him hype up all of his supporters, and it gave him much-needed relevancy after he left office. As usual, Trump heavily downplayed the overall raid, and after the search warrant was released to the public, everyone saw this raid was a lot more than some handwritten notes that Trump had minimized it too. Now, time passed, and everyone was forgetting about this whole raid. That was until news came out that Trump was going to be facing federal charges for this Mar-a-Lago incident. Essentially, Mary Garland, the U.S. Attorney General, appointed Jack Smith, someone who is politically neutral, to investigate Trump's mishandling of these documents. And Jack Smith indicted Trump and Will Nada, his own personal aide, and the indictment revealed even more information about Trump's handling of the documents, which consisted of nuclear and U.S. military information regarding vulnerabilities and defense. The indictment showed audio recording transcripts that potentially prove Trump knew that the documents that he had with him were still classified. And this conversation specifically, it centered around Trump showing others a document saying he could have declassified it as a president, but he didn't. So this document was still a complete secret. The indictment also included methods Trump used to avoid turning in all the classified documents he had, such as by claiming he'd complied with the National Archives by turning in all documents requested, but in reality, Trump still kept some. And later on, the indictment also included many quotes of, back in 2016, Trump speaking about the Hillary Clinton email saga, and it had many quotes of Trump talking about how he's going to enforce protection of classified information, and that no one is above the law. You can see really how tables have turned, and just how hypocritical Trump seems in this situation. Most of all, the indictment really revealed how scattered around these boxes were, and these boxes, they contained confidential information, but they were around all around Mar-a-Lago, and it showed just how easy anyone entering the property could access them, potentially. Now, Trump is facing 37 felony counts, and there's a real possibility he could face jail time up to 20 years. However, Trump 
never let that slow him down whatsoever. Straight after pleading not guilty and exiting the Miami courthouse, Trump went to a local Cuban restaurant where he was greeted by many of his supporters and after he even went on to do a Fox interview. Trump has taken full advantage of the situation and he's even used it to fundraise, gain relevance once again, and the political witch hunt narrative, it never seems to fail for Trump. Every single time something like this happens, his supporters really seem to sympathize with him like, oh, you know, the whole world is against Trump. You know, he's the only good one here. This narrative that Democrats are after Trump never fails for him. It always works. And Trump never stopped complaining about supposed double standards. His main defense to this was he was constantly reminding supporters about how Biden also had classified documents and how Biden got away with no punishment and how Democrats just wanted to go after Trump. And it's not true. It's just not that simple. For starters, the main reason why Trump is in all of this trouble is because of the fact that he tried his best not to turn in these documents in the first place, and he refused to comply with the National Archives. Biden, on the other hand, had his lawyers turn in these documents to the National Archive with no hesitations. In addition, Biden is also under investigation by a Trump-appointed attorney, which would eliminate any political bias towards Biden. So Biden is also under investigation by, you know, a reputable attorney. And it's not like Biden isn't facing some of what Trump had to do, you know. Biden is going through what Trump had to do, at least some of it. But the main difference is that Trump wanted to keep these documents and Biden willingly returned them. So that really is what makes the whole situation involving Trump a lot more incriminating. Now, the official trial will begin August 14th, and this trial will be held with a Trump-appointed judge. However... Trump has pushed that this trial should be moved till after the 2024 elections. Either way, we'll have to wait until August 14th to see how things play out. Russia, we almost witnessed the start of the biggest threat to power Putin has seen in years. Yegevny Prigozhin and his very own private military group had occupied the Rostov-on-Don province and they were on their way to Moscow before Putin strike a deal halting any further conflict. And so how did this all begin? Now, Yegevny Prigozhin, who is the leader of this private military group, the Wagner Group, he had been in prison for a decade as a teenager, and Prigozhin had decided to start a hot dog stand after leaving prison. And from there on, he worked his way up to opening fine dining restaurants and winning catering contracts to the point where you'd often see him providing the food for major dinners hosted by Putin, including one between Putin and George Bush. Now, the Wagner Group is essentially a paramilitary force, which is it's just the unofficial military force, and the Wagner Group consists of mercenaries. Now, in the Donbass War of 2014, the Wagner Group really came into the spotlight, and ever since then, they've been seen in Syria, Sudan, and Central Africa. And the Wagner Group, they are infamous for their human rights abuse, and often they're able to do the dirty work an official army isn't allowed to do. In addition, Prigozhin has admitted to interfering in U.S. elections, so he's pretty infamous in the U.S. himself. 
Now, Prigozhin, an army leader himself, is often seen on social media criticizing other top officials in Russia, calling them out for their laziness and saying while his men are dying at the front line, the rich are sitting like fat cats in their luxury offices. And Prigozhin has often got away with a lot more than what others have in terms of being able to publicly criticize these top officials, as... Prigozhin's troops, they're often seen as the most successful, and they've accomplished a lot for Russia in their war against Ukraine. However, Prigozhin went a bit too far in one video, where he proclaimed that the Ukrainians were pushing back Russian forces, while also criticizing the original motives and the necessity of a war against Ukraine. And after this video, later Prigozhin claimed that the Russian military had killed a large sum of his troops through a rocket strike, and he was out to seek revenge. That's how this whole issue came to be. He pulled his troops out of Ukraine, occupied the Rostov on Don province in Russia, and he actually didn't face much opposition, with some even welcoming him in Rostov on Don. Now, immediately, road blockades and checkpoints were set up around Moscow, where the Wagner Group were headed, and around the world, everyone was following this story, you know, maybe Ukraine could take advantage of this and have a counter-offensive victory in some areas. However, in the end, this possibility proved to be quite short-lived as it was revealed Prigozhin and Putin had struck a deal, and Prigozhin would be exiled to Belarus, and Wagner troops would return to Ukraine. Now, all of this took place in the span of one to two days, which is it's pretty crazy to think about just how quickly this whole incident escalated, and it still proved to be one of the largest threats to Putin's power we've seen in quite some time. And folks, that was pretty much it for this week. But before we end this episode, I still do have one more short story. The debt ceiling bill increase finally did get passed through Congress and was signed into law June 3rd after Biden finally stepped into negotiations. And although Biden and Democrats didn't achieve a clean increase as was heavily preferred, the final deal was still much more preferable to the initial Republican plan. Now, this new bill would raise the debt ceiling till January of 2025, meaning Biden wouldn't have to worry about the whole debt ceiling fiasco as it usually is until after the elections. Now, for starters, the initial Republican plan had a decade-long spending cap planned out, and over time, that would cut around $4 trillion from funding. However, Biden negotiated that down to just a two-year spending cut. In addition, the new bill won't affect Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, so Biden's clean energy goals will not be affected. And this bill does cut IRS funding. However, in the short term, that wouldn't really affect the IRS. And the bill managed to repurpose unused COVID-19 funds. Overall, it's pretty impressive. Biden, he didn't have to resort to any other alternatives to raise the debt ceiling, such as minting a trillion dollar coin or using the 14th Amendment's wordings to essentially ignore the debt ceiling. So you have to give him props to that. He negotiated and he did it well. Love him or hate him, Biden did a good job. And gotta give um, props to McCarthy. He didn't really get picked around and bullied by hard-right Republicans, and he ignored them because they had some pretty harsh demands for a potential bill. And folks, that was pretty much it 
for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to join our mailing list. All you need to do is send an email to politicsmolitics2020 at gmail.com. That email is located in the biography of this podcast. And also feel free to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It's a good way of giving me feedback. And feel free to spread the word. Tell your aunt, uncle, mom, dad, friends, family, really anyone. You were listening to Politics Politics, and this was the week of 7-9-2023.